privilege to have them here and just share. So that's about all I'm going to say about inviting Tom to come up. One question I would ask you, how many years have they been doing this? That was one of my questions I asked Tom the other day. How many years do you think? 25. Who said 30? Ah, 30. You win the prize. 32 and a half. Yeah. He, he told me 30 years. My other question was, how many translations have you been involved in over those 30 years? 500, right? <laughs> he told me 22 translations. And then he said, indirectly, you have to define that, what you mean by that. He said 50, 50 indirectly. Isn't that incredible? Tom, please come forward. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. It's great to be with you this morning. And I bring you greetings from your brothers and sisters in the Lord, uh, from Sudan, from Zambia, and from South Africa. Those are the three places we've been working with lately. And uh, the saints over there wanted to greet the saints over here, so I'm doing that. And I just want to thank you all for your years of partnership. Many of our 30 years, Lyle, have been with you guys. I think we've been with you maybe 25 or 26 years, something like that. So, yeah, the Lord is so good. And uh, just to look back, so what you've been doing is looking back, how many years, how many Bibles. And so it's wonderful to see. Uh, so 22 uh, New Testaments that we have been involved with directly, and that means we actually putting on the translation hat and working with the translators. That's what I mean by directly. Indirectly, well, we've had other jobs within Wycliffe. We've also done administrative work. Sharon's done personnel work, and so we oversaw a lot of different projects on the you know the administrative side. So those and that. I don't know exactly how many it is. I just think it's been about 50 languages indirectly that we have been uh, personally involved with. We're going to start with a scripture verse this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege we have today to look into your word. Thank you, Lord, that at any time we can open up your word and let it speak to our hearts. We acknowledge that this morning there's many, many people around the world, millions of people, hundreds of millions of people, who don't have that privilege. And so we pray, Lord, that you won't make them wait too long, but that you'll help us to reach out to each and every one of them, because everyone in the world should have your message in a language that speaks to their heart. And Lord, we pray that this word this morning would not return to you void, but it will accomplish all you want it to accomplish in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
This is uh, amazing. The message of the cross, and as I listened to you singing this morning, it was focusing on the cross. Never get away from that cross. I know the Apostle Paul, he says, I sought to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is the cornerstone of our faith. And so what is the message of the cross? That's the gospel. The gospel. And sometimes we make the gospel very... uh, a complicated thing, but the gospel is very simple. Even a child can understand it. So the message of the cross is the gospel. You know, as Bible translators, we need to look at the language that the scriptures were written in. Most of the New Testament was written in Koine Greek. And the Old Testament, of course, in Hebrew. So we look into those uh, books and we see the word evangelion in Koine Greek. And the meaning is gospel or good news. And, you know, sometimes English steals and borrows words from other languages. So it sounds like they might have got this one from Greek. Evangelism, evangelist. I think we borrowed that one. And uh, as translators, we also come across that issue of borrowing words. We like the translation to be as natural as it can be in the different languages of the world. But sometimes there's just not a word. And so... Sometimes we have to borrow the word from another language. We don't like to do that, but sometimes it's necessary. And even English did it with Evangelion. So what is this good news? Simple. Jesus Christ paid the death penalty for our sins. That is the cornerstone of the message. And God didn't leave him on the cross as we were uh, singing about. Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. Those are the two main components of the gospel message. And if that message goes forward, our scripture verse says, it's the power of God. The power of God goes with the gospel. And we've seen uh, examples of this all around Africa. So the first place we worked in Africa was in Sudan. And uh, you see this little map here. Sudan now is broken up into Sudan in the north, South Sudan in the south. And then in the middle, you see the red area is the Nuba Mountains. Now, this is an area that I went to 40 years ago, 1980. 40 years ago, I went to the Nuba Mountains. What was I doing in the Nuba Mountains? Why... Why would this guy from Illinois, a small town in Illinois, what would I be doing in the Nuba Mounds? That's a good question. Here's a picture of me back then. I didn't even know the Lord at the time. I just had a backpack on going off to the different uh, villages. And uh, the, the more different the culture was to mine, the more interesting it was for me. And the Nuba Mountain people were very different. And I spent quite a bit of time with them. And... Uh, just it's just amazing when I look back. What was I even doing there? Nobody goes to the Nuba Mountains. Some people may go to Sudan, and if they do, they usually stay along the Nile River. But I got out to the Nuba Mountains, and uh, God was directing my steps even before I knew it and knew Him, and He was allowing me to fall in love with the Nuba people. And then eventually I came back to the U.S., got saved, got married, and then we went back to Sudan. Sharon and I went to Sudan in 1995, 
And uh, we discovered that there was 50 languages in the Nuba Mountains. And most of them need the scriptures. And then when you think of that, you go, that's why God had me falling in love with the Nuba people. There's a lot of translation work that needs to be done. So we started that work in 1995. Uh, in those days, uh, the old way was the husband and wife would get one language. And here's your language. Now you're going to be with this language for the next 30 years. And so we said, well, wh- which one is our language? And our boss said, here's a language family. So we got several languages. They're re- related linguistically. And we worked with several lang- Nuba Mountain languages in 95. Uh, one of them was the Dagik language that Sharon worked with. I worked with the Tocho and the Lumun language. So the Lumun language... Uh, uh, the Lumun language, and we developed alphabets for these three languages. They had no alphabets before we were there in 95. Uh, but then something happened while we were on furlough in 1998. In 1998, the USA launched seven cruise missiles striking Khartoum, Sudan. I don't know if you remember this. Uh, there was a twin bombing of Al-Qaeda of the U.S. embassies in Nairobi, Kenya, and in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. And in response, the U.S. sent seven cruise missiles to Sudan, uh, to Khartoum, and they took out uh, Osama bin Laden's pharmaceutical factory there, which just happened to be less than a mile from our house in Khartoum. That's where those cruise missiles landed, and they destroyed their target, left the buildings next to it unscathed, smart bombs, uh, but... Then when we tried to go back to Sudan, we were not allowed. We don't know all the reasons why they kind of blacklisted us and didn't allow us back in. This could be one of the reasons because we lived in the proximity where the missiles striked. But anyway, uh, so that door kind of closed for us, Sudan, and then we wound up working in Kenya and Uganda and Tanzania. But uh, the Lumun language pressed on even after we left. They pressed on in translation work, and then I was able to go in, not physically into Sudan, but I sneak in there by Skype, and I help the translators there. So Sudan's a radically Islamic government, so why would they allow Bible translators in? Well, if I go in by Skype, uh, then we can work together with the translators. We always speak, uh, we don't trash talk the government during our Skype messages. You never know who's listening in. But uh, here's a picture of me in Johannesburg, in my office in Johannesburg, and they're in their office in Khartoum, and then we work together on translating the scriptures. Isn't it amazing how, you know, the devil thinks he's closed the door, but God can open a door that no man can close. And God is using innovation and technology to, to accomplish his great commission and it's just amazing the doors that we can go into that you would think would be closed. And in fact, this uh, in, this great com- this Skype technology, uh, we're trying to get as many of our older consultants. So some of the, our consultants come back to the U.S. Uh, they can they can no longer live that rough life in Africa. So and they come back for various reasons: children's education and that type of thing, retirement. But they've got heads filled with knowledge that can still be used in the Great Commission. And so Skype technology is one way to connect those 
old revered translation consultants with languages that still need the scriptures. Well, we finished the New Testament with the Lumun people. And uh, right now, as I speak, that New Testament is in North Korea or South Korea being printed. And uh, soon it will be on the, the boat heading toward Port Sudan. And soon the New Testament will be available in the heart language of the Lumum people. And, you know, any time a group gets the New Testament, it's a celebration time. You imagine how happy you would be if you didn't have the Bible and all of a sudden, here's the Bible. Then they basically will have a celebration. And I would love to be at this celebration because I've been with them since before they had an alphabet. You know, and now they've got the New Testament and I helped with them get through the last books of the New Testament. And so, but it still would take a miracle for me to get a visa to get in there to that celebration. But it's amazing what the Lord has been doing in Sudan. I'm going to hand around three copies of the New Testament that has recently been published in languages in South Sudan. These are represent many years and decades of blood, sweat, and tears. Dedicated African translators been working their whole lives. Now you're holding in your hands the fruit of their labor, and it's just amazing. And these are just three examples. Over the past three years, especially, so many New Testaments have been completed. It's just incredible. You know, the Bible translation process is a long process, but to see some of these fruits of the labor come out is just incredible. And so many of them coming, it's just, you know, God has his foot on the accelerator pedal and it's pedal to the metal. And he's getting his word out to as many languages as he as possible. And it's just fun to have a small window to look and see what he's doing over there. We've also seen the power of the gospel in the country of Uganda. We lived in Uganda for five years and worked with several languages there. And, you know, some of the languages we work with are small languages. 10,000 people speak that language, you know. But Jesus still loves them, right? Yeah. Yes. So, we, you know, size doesn't really matter to, to Wycliffe. We, we, it doesn't matter how small the group is or how difficult the language is. We want God's word into their heart language. But some of the groups we work with are rather large. And one of the groups we worked with was the Lugueri group and the Lugueri New Testament uh the Lugueri New Testament uh those there's five hundred thousand speakers of Lugueri, so half a million people speak the language. So it's surprising that this that, that group didn't already have the the Bible because usually the big giant groups are targeted and they get the Bible first. Okay, but they, this one we finished and uh and they had a they had their celebration ceremony and they had a surprise visitor come to the Lugueri New Testament dedication. It was the president of Uganda. Yoweri Museveni came. He his mother tongue is Lugueri. So he came to the Lugueri Bible translation dedication. He dedicated this monument of the Lugueri New Testament. You see, they're putting up monuments over there in Africa. Here we're tearing down our monuments and taking the, new, the Ten Commandments out of our courtrooms and everything. And over there, it's opposite. And uh, he, he was so happy to see that, that New Testament in his mother tongue. 
Uh, here's the, one of the translators presenting President Museveni with his own copy of the Liguri New Testament. But he then, he said, we want the Old Testament. And he gave $20,000 to get the Old Testament. He said, don't stop with the New Testament. We've got to have the Old Testament too. So. Lately, we've been working in the country of Zambia. And uh, we travel to Zambia now four times per year and uh, work with five different language groups there. And we've seen the power of the gospel at work among these Zambian languages and communities. So here's a wonderful group of people. We meet together four times a year. So there's translation consultants from around the world in there. There's Zambian translators from each of the five languages. You can even see Sharon there. So Sharon is now coming and doing translation work. And it's just awesome, the power of the gospel that we've seen specifically in Zambia these last few years. So most of the work we do is Bible translation work, which is kind of tedious kind of stuff. But sometimes the local pastors will ask us to preach at their local churches there. And it's amazing the receptivity of the people there. You can give an altar call in a little church there and they respond, boy, they come forward, they want to receive Christ. And so many people now are trusting in Jesus uh, as their Savior. It's just incredible to be have a part in that. I'm going to ask Sharon to come up now. So before Sharon was doing personnel work, and I said, if she could just come one time to Zambia, I know she'll fall in love with Zambians and she'll come over to the translation side of the work. And fortunately, that's what happened. Sounds like Star Trek, doesn't it? Over to the dark side and over to the light side. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was actually, when I was a child, a little baby, my first two years I spent in Zambia. So for me, it's actually a full circle to return to Zambia and to the Zambians. And I have found them to be some of the most gracious, amazing people I've ever met in the whole world, and I have lived in 37 different countries. So um, they have captured my heart, and I changed my um, assignment. It was it was necessary. HR stuff is more administrative than people-orientated, and my passion is people. So it was time to move back to where my real passion lies, which is with my Africans and the Bible. So... Uh, the Lord graciously allowed it, and I now work directly with our African translations. And my job is to ensure exegetical um, accuracy. So I'll check their their translations. I look to make sure that they didn't miss a verse, because you know sometimes when you when you're translating, you might skip a verse. Oh, what happened to verse five? Oh, it disappeared. Oh, hey guys, where's verse five? You know. Um, another thing I do is I supply the context in which they are translating. What was this world? Who were these people? They've never been out of their own country. So, you know, most of them, Mongu, this little town in western Zambia, is the biggest town they've ever been to. Some of them have never even gone to Lusaka, the, the capital of Zambia. And um, some of their children, when they see me, they cry because, you know, I'm scary, I'm white, you know. And so the, knowing about some, uh, Israeli culture is just not in their worldview. So that's my job, to 
bring the, the world of the first century alive for them and these other people alive for them. Who were they? What were they about? And um, so uh, these are my guys. Well, they're actually Tom's, but he shares. There's Enoch and Miracle. I, I always call him my miraculous because the man has a heart as big as all of Africa. Just He is my miracle. I love working with him. And my job is made so much easier because of these beautiful people. So I will, every every workshop, I bring what I call my story. One of the stories, that, to give you an example, um, was we were doing the passage where Jesus says, let the, be- the dead bury the dead, you come and follow me, right? It is very offensive to African culture because the implication to Africans, just reading it as it stands, is that there is no veneration for the Father, that you don't respect him enough to bury him, that, that you have lost that connection with your familial. And that, of course, is not what that means. But that's how they typically have read it, and they have struggled with it and been heart sore about it. And so what my job was for them is my story one for that passage for all the teams was, this is the story of the dead bearing the dead. It's a Hebrew metaphor. It actually is pertaining to a system that was instituted by the Pharisees during the first century of not only did they bury according to Mosaic rule, which is the Torah and what, how they were supposed to bury, but they then added this little piece where you needed to wait until your father or mother turned into bones. Then you would gather the bones up and you'd, you'd buy an ossuary from the Pharisees, because only the Pharisees could sell ossuaries. And then you put all these bones in, and then you rebury him. So it became a big commercial enterprise. And so what Jesus was saying was he was refuting that, like he refuted much of the oral law at the time when he walked this earth, and he was saying, that is not it. You've buried your father, if, if he has actually died. You've buried him according to Mosaic law. It's done. You do not need to do the ossuary story. We all know what the purpose was, that actually he was saying, you're making excuses. And the guys get that, but the, but the words of Jesus was, were hard for them, but now they understand and they go, oh, we understand. Oh, he doesn't not love the fathers and the mothers. And he's not saying we shouldn't bury our fathers and mothers We understand the context of this. We also know about commercialization of funerals and stuff like that. So that's one of the things that I do. Each one of uh, the languages have a consultant that works with them. And we said, now Sharon comes with us. We need to get her her own language. Because I'm taking over. (laughs) So Nyango is a language group we thought was extinct. We survey Angola when Angola's war stopped and we gained access into tribal areas that hadn't been seen in more than 30 years, and we, did, we went looking for language groups we knew from 50 years before were there, and to our amazement, we could not find the Nyango. And so war is war, and sometimes whole groups disappear off the planet, and so we sadly surmised that perhaps Nyango had gone extinct. Later, we're across the border in Zambia and we hear something and somebody says something about Nyango. We're like, this is Nyango here? And our one group says, oh yes, indeed, they come to our marketplace periodically to sell their rice. 
So Tom and I, we dump in a big four-wheel drive, we ride across the Zambezi River, we go to the village, we go to see if we can find them so that we can survey them and establish, is this really Nyango? And do they really need a translation? And we found them, in the, and they had a marketplace, and they are fishermen and rice farmers, and they bring their rice to sell here, which is then taken to Lusaka and sold on the world market. So this is what, they are quite enterprising people, but they're also very exclusive people. And they're cross-border people, which means that they go across to Angola when they want to, for whatever reason, and they come back to Zambia. And so that is why they were missed, because they happened to have been on the Zambian side at the time when the survey came through. Um, it's also hard to know how many people are in this group, because they wander across the border back and forth. So somewhere between 50 and 100,000 people. We met with those two, I met with those two women, Tom met with some of the men. Tom had quite the story to get them from the market to the church because they are exclusive and reticent kind of people and Tom doesn't look right, he's white. And um, they couldn't understand what he could possibly, where they were very suspicious of him. And so when, we are, when he arrived here, I took the woman and we talked and it became very clear that Nyango is a very strong and active language group, but very exclusive. And although some of the, especially the young ones, they go to school, they learn Lozi, which is the national language of the area, um, they still prefer their own language and they long to have it written. And when they heard that we could write their language, they were like, when do we start? Tomorrow? <laughs> Since this survey, we get messages on a monthly basis. When are you coming back? When are you coming back? The need and the desire is so deep for the Nyango to have their own translation. Thank you. So in April, we plan to, uh, <laughs> we plan to go to the border and visit the Nyango villages and get some more data and get a word list. Before you can get an alphabet, you need to get a word list. So that's our next task with the Nyango. So thank you very much for your report there. I've had the privilege these last few years to work with one of the men of God in Zambia, Pastor Enoch of the Shanjo translation team. And he's such a wonderful guy. And I've been training him to take more greater leadership role in the project there. In fact, he's right now in, they're having a translation project right now in Mongu without us. So we're not there, but I feel confident. I've been in communication with them and he can carry the Shanjo team through because he's a leader in his own right. And uh, so, yeah, right now they're doing translation work there. One of the most exciting parts of our ministry has been working with the Jesus Film Project. As soon as the language gets the Gospel of, uh, of Luke, they're a candidate for the Jesus Film, and then we translate the script for the Jesus Film, and then the Campus Crusade for Christ sends out a truck out to the various villages, and they show the first movie ever seen in these villages. I'm telling you, these guys live at the ends of the earth. There's just mud huts, grass roofs. There's no vehicles, cars out there. There's no electricity. And so when they get a Jesus, what is a film, first of all, and who is this Jesus? Anyway, so they come from miles around to watch the Jesus film, and there's an invitation to receive Christ at the end of the Jesus film. And you cannot believe how the Lord is using this powerful evangelical tool 
to bring people into the family of God. It is just incredible. And so uh, Campus Crusade was taking it to the different villages. And so they were on their way to the Shanjo village, the group that I work with. And uh, Pastor Enoch had gathered together 800 Shanjo people into a schoolroom. And when I say schoolroom, that's a long mud hut with grass roof. And that's the schoolroom. They had 800 people in there waiting to see this Jesus film. And the truck broke down on the way there. So they were disappointed. But Pastor Enoch wasn't going to quit. He says, my people need the Jesus film. So we gave him a little projector, solar powered, to recharge the battery. And uh, said, here you go, go show the Jesus film. Don't wait for that truck. So he went off. And like I said, there's no vehicles, cars out there. Uh, Most of the people just walk from village to village. I mean, long distances. But if you're lucky, you have an ox cart. And Pastor Enoch had an ox cart where he hooked up his two oxen. And uh, he went off to show the Jesus film. Here's a picture of Pastor Enoch. And uh, as he was showing the Jesus film in the different villages... Uh, he heard people from distant Zambian villages heard that we were showing the Jesus film and they asked for us to come to their villages. So how can you say no to a request like that? Pastor Enoch certainly couldn't. So he loaded his ox cart up and off they would go to the next village. And then, you know, in between the workshops, this kind of stuff is going on. And then when we all meet together at workshops, give us a report. What's been happening in your villages? And so each one will give their report. And Pastor Enoch told all the different places he showed the Jesus film, the different villages, and he kept statistics. He said, in village A, so many people saw the film and so many people prayed to receive Christ. And it was village after village. When I looked at those statistics, I'm just going, wow, God is doing something here and it's wonderful to just have a little window to see what he's doing. Uh, He said, but one of the things he said in his report, he said, this awakening is so big that we even felt pity for my oxen that were carrying us on the long travels to show the film. The oxen were getting exhausted and worn out by bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth. Isn't that something? It's incredible what God is doing. Even in difficult circumstances, God is getting his word out to his people. This is Tumoni. He's a translator for the Kwamashi language, and he's actually very good. He sent me his uh, his university uh, transcripts, and I went down through it, and I saw Hebrew, A+, Greek, A+. He is a talented guy. He knows Greek and Hebrew. And so some of our translators, they're a little well, better educated. Some aren't as educated, but God uses them all to bring his word to the people. But even Timoni, he says, The words of this Jesus film touch our hearts, and we understand now what we never understood before. Why? Because it's in the language of their heart, and that's when they really understand the message of God. This is Nasalele of the Makoma team, and her her husband, Pastor Jerry. And she says, when I show the Jesus film to the women in the villages, they weep as the words enter their hearts and they understand the good news for the very first time. And Pastor Jerry told me that even their own children prayed to receive Jesus Christ after watching the Jesus film 
Nasulele and Jerry's own children became Christians by watching the Jesus film. Isn't that incredible? And this is Cosmos, translated from the Fue language. And, uh, you know, he's a, we call him Induna. He's the chief of his village. And he's very stoic. He doesn't smile a lot. And he just speaks, you know, uh, calmly. And so you know, we said, what's been happening in Fue land since last workshop? And then he gives his reports and he's telling, he's, he showed the Jesus film in many Fue villages. And in his report, he decided to teach us how to operate the equipment. So he said, here's the, the projector, and here's, here's the speakers, and here's how you set it up. And then he started showing the Jesus film in our workshop room. And Wow, that's great. And then he said, I showed the Jesus film in, uh, to 3,652 people, and over 1,200 people prayed to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And he's just re- given a report. And when he said that, the room just like erupted into praising the Lord for what God is doing. Well, that is awesome what God is doing there. It's just incredible. And here's a list of the New Testaments that have been completed in the countries that we've been working in. And you can see, if you look carefully at the dates, I don't know if you can see them back there, but the last few years, God has been busy Cranking out those New Testaments for his people. It's just unbelievable how many. Is, and just I wonder what the next few years is going to bring. And one group I worked with in Zambia, uh, the Nkoya, they now have the whole Bible. And that sometime this year they're going to have the celebration in their village for getting the whole Bible. And I want to be there. I worked with them on the Jesus Film Project. And so I'd like to be at that Celebration. Wow, I got a good job. I get to go to these wonderful things, man. You guys are stuck back here, but I thank you for making it possible for us to be over there. Now we, uh, we covet your prayers. Here's a picture of our, our family in Virginia recently. And so you can see our two sons, Jordan and Travis, and their, uh, girls there. And so we need your prayers. We covet your prayers. Nothing gets done in the kingdom of God without prayer. So pray especially for Jordan. He's been struggling with some depression and some, he's been having crisis of faith kind of things going on in his life. And so we just lift him up before the throne and pray that God will get a hold of him and show him his truth. Uh, we're going to end it with this, our scripture verse. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. My friends, the gospel is powerful. I've seen it firsthand. I've seen evidence of it. And when the gospel is presented, it's not just because we're so clever in putting together Jesus films or because we're, you know, we're able to do certain things technologically wise. It's because when that gospel goes forth, it has the power of God with it. And you can expect when that power of God goes with the gospel, it will have results. Will everybody get saved? No. The verse says some will be perishing and think that that message is foolishness. But there are many who will be saved. So I I encourage you all to reach out to your lost loved ones, your, your colleagues at work, your classmates at school, people in your own family maybe are still lost. Just present the simple gospel and the power of God will be right there with it. We're going to watch a short video now.
to close our time. It's eight minutes long.
Hi, I'm Russ Erdman. I'm here in the town of Kokoko, northern Uganda, where we've just had the dedication of the 1,000 New Testament that Wigman and SIL have been involved in. This is a telephone issue in South Sudan. There are refugee communities here in Uganda. They have not received the gospel of peace. They're looking forward to peace in their country so that they can go back and share with the rest of their people. Isn't it wonderful what the Lord is doing in Africa and around the world? We thank you for your partnership with us. And let's now go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are in awe when we look at what you're doing, what you have done, what you are doing, and we look expectantly, Lord, to what you will do in the coming years in Africa and around the world. And Lord, we just thank you how you're allowing more and more people to get your word in the message of their hearts. And we just pray, Lord, that you will continue that process, Lord. Don't let them wait any longer, Lord. Don't let them wait more for your word to come to them. And we pray that you'll, that we will do our part, whatever part you give us, to help bring the word to the Bibleist people groups of Africa and beyond. And we ask it in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen.